should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. to the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. We're here Thursdays at the Commonwealth Club with my co-host, John Zipper, in which we feature conversations with LGBTQ thought leaders. So today we have two candidates who are running for political office and joining us who are part of the LGBTQ community, the transgender community to be specific. And so our first guest is Veronica Fimbres, who is not only a good friend of mine and who has not only served with me uh, for the San Francisco Pride Board, but is a nurse by profession and an activist for many years, um, many, many years, (laughs) (laughs) has been a part of the Green Party for over a decade and uh, as uh, you mentioned it before, the first transgender uh, officer in San Francisco. So let's welcome Veronica to the program. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. I am absolutely delighted. <laughs> you got me moving around this morning, and that's a good thing. Well, you know, uh, this is exciting, and uh, congratulations in taking that step in declaring your candidacy for governor of California, running as a, a member of the Green Party. Uh, before we really talk politics, in which John's the expert on, I mean, I'm really just the kind of person who you know, hypes things up. Uh, uh, you <laughs> talked a little bit about your personal life, but, uh, you know, this is a safe space. And, and here on the show, we always like to hear, you know, just kind of the, the coming out process or the coming out story or something, the personal story in which, you know, we as members of the LGBTQ community can share with others Um, in which we remember that moment of being able to be ourselves. Would you like to share? I would love to share. So I think my situation was particularly different. Um, I didn't ever really come out because I've never been in. I've always been myself, and my family has always, I'm very blessed that my family has always loved me unconditionally. So when I told my family that, you know, I was, I was, a boy and I was transitioning to be a woman and I was never really a boy even when I was a boy. <laughs> they always knew I was special in some way. I was, I was already the person that I am now. I was just different. And so um, they were able to take that and, and, and work with it and my entire family is just amazing. They, you know, they love me. They, it's just me. And so they, I've had unconditional love throughout. So I never really came out. They, I was just always me. And my family loved me for who I was. Because it was always hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that people could love you and then take it away. I mean, your parents raise you to be your own person and to make sure that you can survive in the world. And then when you tell them that you're 
not who they think you are or who they think you should be, that they pull their love away. That's always been disturbing to me. And so one thing about San Francisco, and you mentioned it off, um, off mic, that this is a safe haven. San Francisco is considered a safe haven for young LGBT kids. And so our youth is what uh, I feel like supporting all the time because they need to know that they matter to us and that we care. You moved here from Detroit, we were talking earlier. Yes. Uh, how old were you when you came out here? Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure. I think it was in my, uh, let's see, maybe in my um, early 40s, maybe, or late 30s. Probably my early 40s, because mm -hmm. I'm 65 now. I just turned 65 in November. Wow. And you, you were talking earlier, and I, I'm hoping you can share with the radio audience, what was it like when you came to San Francisco for the first time, or stepped, <laughs> up, stepped off the plane? Um, um, uh, my dad drove me to, uh, we almost got in a snowstorm, but he drove me to St. Louis, where mm -hmm. I caught the plane to San Francisco. And I, I didn't know anyone, so I was, you know, you feel like you're making a big step. I'm moving, facing this new challenge of this place I don't know. And I had talked to uh, people at the AIDS Foundation, and they told me, sell your car. You know, you won't need tra transportation here. We have a great public system and everything. So when I got off the plane and came into the airport, as I was coming out of the baggage area, there was a flight attendant. I think his name was John. I hope he still works there. He was the most wonderful person. He was gay. Uh, and he said, welcome to San Francisco. And he made me just feel like, wow, this is, this is nice. This is really amazing. And then I got on uh, the transport. I think I took the super, oh, I did take the super shuttle, the blue one. Didn't like that that much. They needed a shock job. But um, they brought me to the, in front of the, um, then the AIDS Foundation that was at United Nations Plaza back then in 96. And when I got out, the sidewalks were glittering and sparkling with that kind of, you know, that asphalt that glitters and sparkles. And I was like, whoa, this is like Alice in Wonderland. This is, this is an amazing place. And then I looked around and I saw transgenders in the day. You know, usually you always anticipate seeing them at night out on the corner doing the whole stroll and all that thing. Been there, done that. But this way, I saw them in, in a different light because they were it out in the day. There was no shame in their game. Mm -hmm. And then the first person to help me was a, a trans woman uh, who's a friend of mine now, Dominique Leslie, and she had a job. She was working for Shanti. She was behind a desk. She was able to help me. And I was like, wow, this is an amazing place to be. So now fast forward to today, you're sitting up here at the Commonwealth Club as a declared candidate um, to run for governor against, and I mean, if we're just going to talk about Democratic candidates uh, <laughs> against, you know, some heavy names such as uh, Gavin Newsom, who was a darling to at least the LGBTQ community a few years ago for his um, efforts regarding marriage equality, uh, Antonio Villagrosa. I mean, for you, you know, this year running, 
this this political year, or, or I should say 2017, we saw at the tail end a record number of transgender candidates come out and run for office, and some won. Yeah, that is so incredible. That's so exciting. And so I'm wondering if you know that kind of uh, uh, made your decision, or what was part of your decision, and if you're, how do you feel about going up against some of these? Big guys. The behemoths. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel comfortable uh, running against them. I mean, it's a challenge. I mean, I've been told by people, oh, you're running against them? You can't beat them. Well, that doesn't uh, diminish or thwart my efforts to win. I mean, I believe that I can win. I'm like the little green that could, you know, chug a lug, chug a lug. Um, I know Gavin, and I know Antonio Villagrosa personally. Um, I don't know a lot of the other candidates that are running, uh, but they're Democrats, and um, I'm not. I'm, I'm one of two. No, there's three Greens that are running as well. Well, I'm the third one. So there's two other Greens that are running. But I have a good platform that I, I stand behind. I've given it a lot of thought, and I've worked hard on it because I care about the people in this state. Uh, I care about uh, DACA, and um, I care about water and air. I'm, the Green Party is really essentially um, a comprehensive, uh, I think they go beyond what Democrats offer. And also, I'm not interested in money. I, I, I need some, but <laughs> I'm not interested in money for campaigning. I want to take money from the people. I don't want money from big oil. Uh, and the other candidates get money from big oil. They get money from unions. Um, uh, corporations, big pharma, and I'm I'm against all of that. Uh, looking at your platform, a couple major themes that come across are accountability um, and openness. Why, why don't you talk about some of the key things that you think need to be addressed in the state? Well, um, the first thing I would say is we have a, a history of drought. So I'm concerned about water, mm. uh, how we can conserve water, what we need to do about um, establishing a continuous water system so that we're without, um, even in droughts, we're able to provide water to everyone. Um, I'm concerned about the Salton Sea, which um, is drought-ridden, and it used to be a thriving community, and, and actually it's drying up. And it's drying up because the Colorado has taken a lot of the water away and they don't release it anymore like they used to. So I would be interested in governorship to talk to the governor in Colorado and try to make a way so that we can get that water released back to the Salton Sea so it become a viable form of water and wetlands for the, you know, the birds and everything that lives and thrives in water. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things. The other thing, um, I want to have accountability. Um, I worked at, um, I don't know if you can call it an honor, but <laughs> I got a chance to work at Rikers Island mm -hmm. that is now shutting down. And I got a chance to, as a community associate for the New York City Health Department. And I also got a chance to work at San Quentin, uh, <laughs> which, which was very interesting. Um, <laughs> um, I couldn't be or provide what I thought I could bring. I thought I could bring my sunshine game and, and lighten up the whole prison and make everything all wonderful with a wave of my hand kind of thing. But 
it didn't work out that way. But mm -hmm. realistically, one of the inmates told me that they needed condoms there. And that, that was the issue that I had at Rikers Island. We were able to pass out condoms, but we could only give them one condom, and we can only pass them out in the LGBT or gay tank. Uh, and so we had trans, they were lumped with the, with the men, and all, everybody that was LGBT was in this one cell block. We could, weren't allowed to give them to the straight uh, inmates, and the straight inmates said, baby, we're the ones who need them because they, they don't consider themselves gay because they have an, uh, an interpersonal relationship or just have sex with another man. They consider it a necessity. And at San Quentin, they were using saran wrap. And they were worried about them putting, um, I guess, nickels or, or coins or something into these condoms and beating people. With, I mean, just, it just didn't make any logical sense to me. And uh, I wanted, you know, with the rise of HIV and, and uh, pe where people are incarcerated with um, hep C uh, being spread uh, and all kinds of communicable diseases, I think that condoms should be a part, and, and I want to see condoms be a part of the prison system. And I want to see the prison system change. I want everything, if we're the state, I don't think we should contract out. I don't want private um, companies taking over our prison system. I think it should be an issue of the state. It's a state prison. It should be state run, and it should be more efficient and effective. I also believe in um, transparency. I, I think that if, some, if there was a big issue that came up in the state, I would want to hear from the people. I wouldn't just um, listen. I would hear what they're saying, because I thoroughly believe in we the people. It's not just me. And no one does anything by themselves, even though they take credit for it. Like um, Gavin, he did the marriage, uh, gave the Marriage Act and everything that he did for gay marriage and LGBT marriages. That was wonderful, but he didn't do that alone. He had people under him, LGBT people, that helped him craft his, his legislation that passed that made it happen. Yeah, and I would say that there are members of the LGBTQ community who would argue that his, his efforts may not have, uh, have been all that, um, I, I would say, <laughs> effective. It may, it, it, you know, some people think that it probably hurt us a little bit in our efforts as we went through so many years of going forward and going backward. But let's not talk about Gavin. Let's talk more about you and, you know, this being a part of the LGBTQ community. Oftentimes when we're putting ourselves out there as musicians, as artists, as political candidates, um, you know, we get pigeonholed or into this category as the gay person, the lesbian person, the transgender person, and it, it sometimes can be tokenized. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, I haven't, I, I read your platform, and it's, it's super incredibly inclusive, and it wasn't so focused on you being an African-American transgender woman from San Francisco who's running for governor. And if you thought that that's not as important, or what's your take on identity politics? Well, I mean, Governor, it has to do with the state. So, I mean, I'm from San Francisco, and uh, while I have friends and people all over the state, I would love to have them get me signatures. I could probably get 7,000 like that 
to get my name on the ballot, but they only will take San Francisco signatures. I don't live in a vacuum. The state is not a vacuum. We have special politics. Our politics are different than uh, the politics back east. We have specific things that we need to address and that are changing our fiscal budget, the way things are done. The, uh, I want to change how that is affected. I want to ask the people. If there is some major decision that has to be made, I want to ask the people of the state, what do you want? I would do that. Versus? Versus just telling them, this is what's going to be done. Yeah. I'm going to do that, and here's what I'm going to do. I would, I would listen, because it's like we the people. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, the omnipotent one. It, it's all the people, and the people of the state con concern me. Just like um, there's, there's not illegal, intimate, uh, illegal immigrants. You don't say illegal. They're residents of California. And as governor, I would protect all residents, all of them. Awesome. John, do you have a question before we open up to q &A? Uh, Well, I was just going to say, kind of playing on, on that along those same lines, do your experiences as a trans woman bring something special to your campaign and, and, and what you would do as a governor? Or do you think that's just part of you as much as uh, running restaurants as a part of Gavin? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, I think it probably has shaped a lot of my perspective. I, I've been discriminated against. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've known that I've been discriminated against. And I've been discriminated against by LGBT people. I've been discriminated against because of my skin, because of my gender. Um, so I know how discrimination feels. I'm, I've been homeless. I know how homelessness feels. Mm -hmm. So I, I can put, I think, out of all the people that are running on this platform to be governor, I'm the most viable candidate because I've been down in the trenches where the people that I'm asking to support me have been. I'm not a, a novice or a stranger to um, being out on the street uh, selling my body for a place to sleep or um, trying to feed myself or going into a restaurant to ask to use the, the restroom so I can wash my, my face or my body because I don't have a place. I know the hardship. I know about drug addiction because I've experienced it firsthand. So I'm, I'm bringing real-life experience. Uh, you know, I didn't come with a silver spoon in my mouth. Mm -hmm. I don't have the money that the other candidates have. But I come with real-life experience. And that would shape a lot of my policies, and that has shaped my platform and what I intend to do. Don't go away, we'll continue with the Michelle Meow Show right after these messages. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, 
leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Monica Fimber is running for governor of California. We're going to open it up now for questions. Um, David. Yeah, thank you. Um, Veronica, you mentioned, you know, working with the governor of Colorado regarding the Colorado River. I know a lot of the money, excuse me, a lot of the water is being used by Arizona. And I know Mexico is upset because not, not, not enough of the river is going into Mexico. And so I'm wondering, you know, to what extent you'll engage other parties. Well, I've, I, I used to go to the Colorado River, so um, I've been out there, uh, and I've seen the change in the water and how it's kind of dried up and how it's just, it's just different. So I think I would work with not just Colorado specifically, but they would be like the first one that I would approach, um, and then I could pull the other states in that are, are interested. I would, be, I would be open to speaking with all the governors there that you just mentioned in Arizona and New Mexico. But I would try to find a vi- vi- viable solution to make sure that the, the salt and sea, we got water there in our wetlands and for our state. Any other questions? I, I want to build on that one, actually, because something we saw from, and I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was governor was doing this, was thinking, and, and Jerry Brown has continued this on climate issues, where they're, they're thinking less as what can be done nationally, especially when there's like national resistance in Washington to doing, to doing something, but they're doing coalitions with other states and even then with other countries as well to kind of build ad hoc coalitions to addressing some of these individual climate problems and trying to you know, deal with things that way. So um, I, I would guess this job involves a lot more being a diplomat than, than you might, you know, think of a governor as being. I, 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 you know, I grew up kind of thinking, oh, the governor of a state is kind of an administrator. You know, they're running this administration. But, uh, you know, you would be chief <laughs> diplomat of uh, the largest state in the United States, you know. Uh, and I'd represent. Yeah. I, I would represent 
um, I can, I've always said this about myself, and it, I found it to be true. I can go to the ghetto down where the streets are skid row, or you can put me, uh, I don't want to say White House anymore, but you can move me anywhere. <laughs> and I would, I would fit in. I would matriculate myself. I would talk to people. I think communication is the key. Um, to making anything work. And so I would feel very comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and if they had any biases, um, I would gently address them, uh, you know, and make everyone feel comfortable. I think people, a lot of times, people come with preconceived ideas as to what to expect. What, what is this going to be like? Or uh, are they going to, am I going to walk in this door and are they going to bite my head off or whatever? That's not me. I would talk to them. I would make sure. And one of the things I can say is my best quality, one of my better qualities, is as a nurse, I have compassion. I have understanding. Um, I, being a hospice nurse, um, I'm with families that don't want their loved ones to die, and there's mm -hmm. nothing I can do about it. I, yeah. I can't help them live longer. As, and I, I experience the loss with, with them, and I have to make sure that the patient is comfortable. And so it's the same thing. The dynamic doesn't change, even though I'm doing something different. I still bring those qualities. Um, I have a story, if you have care to hear it. So I was in New York City, and I was walking down the street. I didn't really have any plans. I was just walking down the street um, past Trump Tower. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a, a man about six, three or four, heavyset, just passed out and cracked his head on the sidewalk. Mm. And I was behind him, so a guy was walking by me, and I just snatched his newspaper out of his hand and opened it up and put pressure on the guy's head. So the guy was moaning, and, and he, was, uh, he was agitated mm. from his fall, and he was confused. And so I talked to him. I said, listen, you're going to be okay. Just, just relax, and we're going to get you help and everything. So when the police finally got there in the ambulance, they said, we've got it. And so I got ready to leave. And at the minute I left him, he became more agitated. And so the police asked me if I would ride with them to Bellevue Hospital. And so I stayed with the guy mm -hmm. until he was calm the entire time. So it's how you talk to people, how you communicate, and, and the way that you address people that makes a big difference, and, and I can talk to anyone. Um, I Recently in San Francisco, they had that big deal where the guy had the gun in his hand, and he, he was in front of Hibernia Bank in the Tenderloin, and they had all this massive uh, war zone equipment out, and all these police officers and stuff, and I was uh, watching television. I said, what are they doing? I, you know, I, I would just, I felt like going over there, and of course, they, I would have been in trouble, but I felt like just going over there and talking to the guy and saying, listen, don't worry. Just put your gun down, and I'll stay here with you. We're going to get you the help you need. And just talk to them. I mean, I might have been at some risk, but life is a risk anyway. And it would have been easier than spending all of that city money and wasting all of that time and that manpower of the police department if somebody just had a, went over and de-escalated with him and talked to him. So I think that's important. Communication is paramount. That's so great. We have time for a couple more questions before we move on to the second half of our program. Annie. Hi, Veronica. Hi. Um, I was wondering about how 
we or you, all of us, can maintain California's vision in the face of the agenda coming out from Washington. <laughs> um, I think that that is a big challenge because there, um, uh, just today, I heard where um, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions is going to um, push back the uh, what Obama had done about marijuana and and just not making us a. Uh, a priority, and he was removing it, but um, they don't plan on doing anything about it, but they just wanted us to know as a state that they were pulling back the protections that we had once had. But also, that's the same thing about um, DACA and trying to arrest um, uh, Mexican residents um, from here. Uh, we can't allow uh, our police department and our sheriffs, they are not obligated. It's, that's a federal program. And so we, as a sanctuary state, don't have to help them. We are not mandated to help them. They want, they want to threaten our dollars um, and make us help them, but we still don't have to, and we're still guaranteed those dollars. So we have to just take our stand and keep resisting. So we can't let, even though some of their policies directly affect us, I still think that we come up on top. Do we have another question? Awesome. Veronica, thank you so much for joining thank us here so on the program. Thank you for having me. Good luck on uh, running for governor of California. And do you have a website people can visit to learn more? Or? Oh, my gosh. It's still under construction, but um, I have an um, a email address, and anybody can email me there. It's Veronica, and that's Veronica with a K. So it's V-E-R-O-N-I-K-A, the number four, governor at gmail.com. Very good. Thank awesome. you very much. Thank you. Don't go away. We'll continue with the Michelle Meow Show right after these messages. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis. Is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. 
and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Welcome back to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Today, we're here at the Commonwealth Club with my co-host, John Zipper, in which we bring LGBTQ thought leaders to the program, as well as having conversations to exchange thoughts and ideas. Today, we're focusing on transgender political candidates. And so the second half of the program, we're going to speak with Martin Rawlings-Fine, who's running for the San Francisco School, San Francisco School Board. Martin, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Martin, I'm going to read your bio very quick for our group and also those uh, on radio. Um, you're an educational technology specialist at the University of California. You've earned your advanced degree in 2016 from the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, where you explored a rabbinic path. And uh, I've, you've done a lot for our community as well. I mean, this is, this is huge. <laughs> you've chaired the San Francisco LGBTQ Community Center's San Francisco Transgender Empowerment Advocacy and Mentorship Program and created the Trans Pride Awards and the Transgender Job Fair. And now you're running for school board here in San Francisco in which the school board shapes policy for public schools here in San Francisco. And just like we asked Veronica, I just want to start off by you know giving our audience a good sense of who you are. Mm -hmm. It is a safe place to do that and talk about just kind of you know, the coming out uh, mm -hmm. process and, and being you. Yeah, well, that, that, was a, that was a very interesting story. Um, I grew up in San Jose. I just a hop, skip, and a jump from here. Uh, and I actually, I I wasn't out. Uh, I was, I'm, I'm bi, and I'm also trans. So I I had a very large, long coming out story that's still happening, uh, because when you're bi, you have to do this maintenance where you have to come out every time to everybody that you meet. <laughs> so uh, so that's really where where I I came from. This pretty insular community. Um, I. Uh, my family was uh, Southern Baptist, and I actually really didn't uh, come out to them until I was about 15. Um, you, you read about this in Balancing on the Mechitza, uh, a little bit about it. Uh, you know, my mother was very much against it, uh, about me being bi, and then also later on about me being trans. So there were little p pieces of it that, that were let on for a long time. And, you know, I think that when families come out of those spaces, when they come out of, you know, being so insular and not really looking at somebody and not really f seeing who they are, to, to actually turning that around and seeing them for the whole person that they are, families are so much stronger. You end up with families that, that are, you know, I still talk to my mother every week. This is really something that you know, really is an important thing. Families are very important. And sometimes people cut them out completely. And to me, I couldn't cut my family out completely. It, it, they were a part of me. They were, they were part of my soul. So when I came out to my mother as bi first, then as trans, then as bi again, and then as trans again, <laughs> I think that... Uh, you know, the, the solidarity with that 
really resonated with me that she was able to assimilate all of that and really take it in and support me. If I may interrupt. So uh, in your bio, it mentions you're a, a Jewish man. Yes. From a Southern Baptist family. When yes. did you come out as Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was another thing altogether. Uh, coming out as Jewish was really difficult. Really? Um, uh, coming out as, as bi and as trans were infinitely easier but they helped pave the way <laughs> because my mother was like, oh, I don't know if I could deal with this, you know, because she's, you know, she's a very, very like strict Southern Baptist woman. I don't know if I can deal with you being a Jewish man, um, let alone being a man, but just being a Jewish man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I did all of the, you know, well, number one, you know, my family background, uh, you know, somewhere on my father's side, there's a bunch of Jewish people, but... What happens is that when you cling to something from your father's side of the family, when your mother is the single mother who raised you, it's not very kosher <laughs> in her eyes. <laughs> so uh, it took a lot of time and a lot of effort. But, you know, we celebrated Hanukkah when it was Thanksgiving and Hanukkah. Thanksgiving. Remember that? Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> we celebrated Hanukkah, her home uh, in Klamath Falls, Oregon, uh, where she retired to. Mm hmm. Uh, so that, that was like a turning point. We we're like, wow, this is great. You know, my kids are here. My mom is here. We're celebrating Hanukkah at a Southern Baptist woman's house. And, <laughs> and it, was, it was really just one of those things that just kind of warms your heart, thinking that families can stick together after someone comes out as trans or they come out as bi or they come out as anything uh, or they come out as Jewish. You know, it's still a happy memory. It's, it, it's really wonderful, actually. So now let's uh, apply it to today, running <laughs> for the school board and talking about, you know, public schools and the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of us as advocates in, in public schools have been talking about how important it is to create spaces where kids can come out, they can be authentic, mm -hmm. they can be themselves. Totally. Um, California is very progressive and forward mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, policies that allow for transgender students to use the r bathroom that they mm -hmm. identify with, totally. uh, as well as seeing images of, of people like themselves or who they'll grow up to be in textbooks. We just passed totally. a law that would include LGBTQ people in history books. Mm -hmm. So that's a big question for you in kind of how that all applies to you know, your platform, your candidacy, your experiences as a trans Jewish man, bisexual. How does that all you know, come together and, and why you want to run for school board? Representation matters. It matters a lot. You know, there's never been a trans person who has won an election here in San Francisco. Seriously. I had not known that. <laughs> so any of the municipal seats that you see, and they've never had a trans person win. Wow. And trans man, trans woman, you know, I think, you know, Mia Satya and myself are trying to change that right now with the school board. Mm -hmm. um, it would mean that there would be an out by person having a school board seat. And that, that's really profound. If you imagine an out trans person having a school board seat, an out bi person having a school board seat, it would mean so much to the students who are bi or trans and, you know, you know, this last, you know, February, when Betsy DeVos pulled back, rescinded the uh, guidance on trans students, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I got on the phone and I called all my friends at the Trans March. And I was like, we need to do something. We need to get something going. 
So Stand Up for Trans Students came out of that. We had the, the big rally and all those trans students came out and talked and, uh, and people listened. Like Mark Lennon was in the, in the audience. He wasn't up on the stage. Mm -hmm. It was trans students, some union members, their parents. Those are the people who were listening. Those are the people who were there listening to those students talk about their experiences. And I think that it's really important that representation on this level has such an impact on students and, and their ability to just go through life and go through school. I mean, if I, when I was a, you know, a young transling, right, back in the day, um, you know, I, if I had had a trans person in a position of power anywhere in San Jose or anywhere else I had lived, that would have made so much of a difference to my growing up, to my seeing myself represented up, up there, to seeing who I was, being part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, it's part of the reason why I moved to San Francisco. There were so many people, you know, they were all part of this sort of milieu. And I was so like entranced by like Joanne Keatley and Cecilia Chung and all these really amazing people who were, and, and Dominique Leslie, and, <laughs> uh, and how these people were part of something bigger than themselves. And they were, were faces that I could see and I could I could walk down the street with them and feel like, you know what? This is part of something larger than myself. This is part of something that goes beyond San Francisco, that goes you know, all the way to the capital in some cases. Um, and I feel like that's, that's important, important to students to see who they could become. So was that February experience, was that when you decided to run or had this been a longer uh, lasting desire. I think um, I decided to run. Well, so my, both my kids go to SFUSD. They're both students in the district, mm -hmm. and you know, during the first parent hazing, uh, <laughs> the assignment process for my daughter, uh, I thought something has to change. We have to figure out some way to to make this a, a little smoother, a little more transparent. It's it's really important to be transparent, especially to parents. And you know, you end up with feeling like you know. Something has to give. So I, I, I put my papers, I pulled papers a little bit, and then I pulled them back. <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do this. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, after, after January, mm -hmm. after November, and then January, and then February, I was like, you know what, this has to change. We have to have people representing our youth and representing, you know, it's like 2%, right? That, but it's such an important thing. I mean, like, even um, like soda, like uh, School of the Arts, you know, it's like 15% LGBT students. Mm -hmm. That's a really important thing mm -hmm. to see somebody, you know, like myself or Veronica or, or Mia up there being, you know, somebody who can help them, mm -hmm. who, can, who can reflect back to them that they're not crazy, that everything is good, and we can work together to make a better future for everybody. You know, it's interesting in the last, like, uh, I would say five years, I mean, We've gotten better at talking about sexual orientation and doing an anti-bullying mm -hmm. campaign nationwide. And then, you know, we really started to get good at talking about gender identity, but we're really not quite there as well. We, yeah. We're still experiencing a whole lot of uh, parents, especially, who really can't grasp this concept or idea of what gender identity really means. Yeah. And so I'm interested to hear, even in a progressive city like San Francisco, oh how we're going to change that, how we're going to make it so that, you know, all of our schools have resources mm -hmm. for par parents, especially, excuse me, 
parents and teachers, yeah. you know, to, to talk about gender identity yeah. comfortably. Yes. Now, so that's really what, where meeting people comes in. You know, when you meet someone and you have a conversation, you can't look at that person and go, that's sort of the enemy. <laughs> you can't have that conversation and then say, oh, but you're trans. Oh, I don't know. I mean, like, maybe like five, six years ago, it might have happened that I was, you know, at a school board, uh, at, a, at a meeting uh, at my school, and one of the teachers, one of the, one of the, actually one of the parents, just outed me in front of, like, other people. Like, oh, someone so told me about you, and I am totally fine with it. Don't worry. Nowadays, that'd be unheard of. <laughs> that would totally be unheard of in, in the parent communities, in the schools. People wouldn't say, oh, my gosh, I, don't, I didn't know oh, I'm totally okay with it. It would be, oh, okay, and then move on. Because, I mean, when I was running in 2012, mm -hmm. um, even the people who interviewed me were like, well, do you think being trans is going to hurt you? Do you think it's going to hurt you? Now, people don't even ask that question. And I think that's the change. That's the shift that's happened somewhat. And people have you know, preconceived notions of what trans is, but those are being broken down. They're being broken down by Veronica. They're being broken down by myself. They're being broken down by Mia. They're being broken down by all the people who are just part of the landscape of San Francisco. I think that's a really important thing. For all those folks who are not in San Francisco, <laughs> um, do you think media portrayals have changed and have helped affect you know, people's opinions oh. or not changed enough? You know, they haven't changed quite enough, yeah. but there have been media portrayals. I mean, back in, back in the Donahue era, <laughs> you know, there were, you know, uh, the Jerry Springer era, you end up with a lot of portrayals that are just not what you would imagine trans people being right now, right? You, you, you go, oh my gosh, that's so, it's a horrible portrayal of somebody that, you know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to, people knowing other people, people getting to know trans people. And that's a really important thing. And when you look at, like, the arc you know, where we have, like, Grace Anatomy doing a, uh, a sex reassignment surgery uh, during prime time. And nobody is baffled by it, like, being a, a, a lesbian couple. You know, that's, that's where we get, like, the good representation. Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> we get really good representation from people who are really, who are in the fight, who are part of it. And I would love to see more of that happen. Mm -hmm. you know, as, as somebody who's in media before, I was, uh, did films, uh, very small, low-budget films. But I really love to see people bring those things, bring those representations to light and make them you know, part of shows. I mean, you've got Doubt, right? That was a great show, especially, well, especially for you know, the non-main character, which was really amazing to see somebody who was, you know, a really wonderful representation for trans women become such, like, a presence that she overshadowed the person who the show was about. <laughs> it's an interesting conversation and in how we as LGBTQ people balance uh, our identities when, you know, we're, we're looking to impact the rest of society and the world. We're going to open it up to questions now from Martin, if you have any questions. David? Yes. One thing I noticed about you, Martin, was your kippah. Uh -huh. And it's like I know a lot of people who are LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. I know very few people who actually wear a kippah in public. <laughs> yes. And I'm kind of wondering to what extent um, 
people have issues with that as compared to people have issues with the fact that you're bi or trans? Well, you know, so that's really an interesting question. Uh, you know, I've, over, over time, uh, when I first started wearing my kippah, um, was before I met my wife. Uh, it was about 15 years ago or something like that. And I started wearing it in small doses, thinking that people would get a backlash from people, of course, right? Oh, there'll be backlash. Um, but, you know, all I found is people who really just are very curious and want to find out what it's about and find out, like, like you're wearing a kippah. Why are you wearing a kippah? Why are you wearing a yarmulke in, in, in you know, broad daylight? <laughs> but uh, really, it's, it's, it's more about getting to know people and having those conversations. Because, uh, you know, I've had some great conversations about work at UCSF. And people are like, I really love your, your yarmulke or your kippah. And they're like, that's really a beautiful piece of fabric. Like, where did you get that? And I have one that's from a bar, uh, bar mitzvah a long time ago that's a, um, uh, that's a, a video game on top of it. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, where can I get that? Or, you know, uh, the musical note one, I really want to find one like that. I'm like, I'll just go up to Dainu. <laughs> but uh, those are like conversations that you have with people that, that really open people up to who you are and your life. And, and they find out more interesting, lovely things about you than you probably wanted to talk to them about. But it's, it's a wonderful thing when two people can t touch and really like make that connection. Okay. Any other questions for Martin? Veronica? Oh. Um, Martin, when did you transition? <laughs> I was 19. 19? 19. 19, yeah. That was a long time ago, <laughs> 21 years ago. Uh, I actually, uh, I actually, Started my transition back in the day when it was uh, when it was patches because they didn't want to give us needles because they thought we would start using them for for drugs and they <laughs> and I had to go into the clinic uh, and they give me a box of patches and I'd slap them on my arm and then keep going and then later on I went to Waddell and uh, Tom Waddell Clinic. It was like a godsend for trans people in that day. Being a trans person is political just by being yourself, right? You have bathroom bills all over the place that are trying to make the world safer for whoever, right? But they're not. And they're not making it safer for us, of course. They're making it safer for people who don't know us. I, 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 I'm curious to know, I mean, what kind of conversations do you have with your kids? Yeah. Um, when their parent is being bullied by mm. everybody, society. I mean, and I mean <laughs> that not That's specifically, a, but yeah. from the federal government mm. to local government. I mean, you, you turn on the news and there's an anti-trans something going yeah. on. That's a tough one. You know, my daughter went to Harvey Milk. Uh, and at Harvey Milk, th they gave like a full social justice course to all the kids. And the kids, the kids know what's up. And my daughter will be my first defender out there to those people. And I think that's an important thing. We think we have to really teach the children that what, what I am, what, 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 what all of these trans people are, what the bi people are, what the LGBT, the whole spectrum, the Houston, I think we need to teach the children that this is nothing. We shouldn't be thinking about this as something special or as something to be degraded because this is who we are. 
I can't take off being bi. I can't take it off like a scarf and hang it up and walk to the store. Uh, I can't take off being trans and hang it up and walk to the store. It's part of my identity. It's part of an intersectional identity within myself that it's just there. It's part of who we are. So when I talk to my kids about things like that, you know, there are people who don't want me to run for school board. There are people who really don't want me to be around, but they don't know me. And when they get to know me, maybe they still don't want me around, <laughs> but at least I've opened that little door with a key and said, hey, you know what? I'm not your stereotype that you have in your head. And if they can look at that and they can say, you know what? Okay, I get that. You know, so it's breakthrough conversations that we have to have with everybody. Well, we think you're a pretty cool guy, John. <laughs> I think we have another question in the back. Hi. So I have no children. <laughs> I am Aunt Jojo. I have tons of littles. <laughs> and my observation is that kids are more open mm -hmm. and accepting and understanding, and it's the parents that need the education. Yes. <laughs> so are there... Like I said, because I am not a parent, are there programs in these schools that are educating the parents about ah. sex and drugs and community mm. and all of that kind of stuff? That comes down to PTAs and their programming and what they do. And I would love to see Gender Spectrum come out and do trainings for, for, these, for the families, for the teachers, for the front, for the front line staff, for the people who, are, uh, who interact with students at all. Because it'd be wonderful if, like, you know, parents and teachers and parents and everybody could be, could have that education to say, you know what, oh, wait, so trans people exist, and that's fine, and here's some ways that we can support them. And I think even, even for non-parents, I think that's a really important thing. We have gender spectrum classes you can sign up for online and take online, things like that. And I think it's really important that we have these discussions, right? These discussions are so important. And they're so important for everybody. And, you know, just like say, you're non-parent, but you still vote, right? So when you vote, you should actually, you know, do some like real like looking at your ballot and say, you know what, those three people are really amazing for all the kids, right? I think that's an important thing that non-parents should vote down ticket. It's an important part of, of engaging civically, right? Voting down ticket is an important part of, of everything. And, you know, I, uh, I look at, like, some, some past times when people haven't voted all the way down the ticket. And you would have, like, 400,000 people voting for the mayor, but 50,000 voted for the, uh, for the school board. And it's an important thing because those students learning what they need to learn is so important for everyone in the entire community, right? It's not just... The parents. So I was a little off topic, but <laughs> no, that's, a, that's that's such a that's such a great point in voting um, in that way. Because I think even for me as a young voter, when I turned eighteen, I was just like, if they're a Democrat, then I'll yeah. yes, yes, yes. And I think now you really got to start thinking about yeah. how do all these candidates shape you know policies mm -hmm. and impact our communities that's become so diverse. John, do you have any uh, questions left for Martin as we wind down a? the program? Well, you, we've talked a lot about education and, and you've got a ton of ideas and, and such, but along the political line, <laughs> do you have higher interests beyond school board? You know, not right now. I think school board is, is where I'm headed. 
Um, it's a natural extension of being a parent in the school system, of being on PTAs and PFCs, parent faculty co- uh, clubs, as they call them at some schools, but uh, being part of the discussion and pulling out my folding chair and being part of the table mm-hmm. rather than waiting. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see Martin run for supervisor and then mayor of San Francisco in like a Veronica's decade. Veronica's going to need a lieutenant governor. Or a lieutenant governor. Um, I want to thank you all so much. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Veronica, for being a part of the program today. And thank you to our guests who are here for the program. John and I are here every Thursday at ten o'clock in the morning. Are subject to change per Annie's request, who's part of our audience today. And uh, the rest of the program can be found at michellemeow.com or Progressive Voices Network and the commonwealthclub.org or commonwealthclub.org. You can always find out which ones are coming up at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. MMS for Michelle Meow Show. We mentioned it uh, earlier, but next Thursday we're doing media and the arts with Matthew Bajaco from the Bay Area mm-hmm. Reporter and Michael Morgan, who's their artistic director of the Oakland Symphony. And then the following week after that, we'll talk to Dolores Huerta in a very intimate conversation on how we all can build communities um, and uh, so much more. We're actually going to do a program where we have a conversation about the LGBTQ pride flag and the history of it with a historian who'd uncovered others who may have been part of the founding process of the gay flag. So thank you again, and we'll see you soon. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (sighs) Thanks so much for tuning in today. For more on us and other programs or podcasts you might have missed, you can head to michellemeow.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices.